We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Ryan, let's dive into our uh, mailbag. So uh, for the next little bit, however many questions you guys have, if you guys have some good questions, I'm going to kind of go back to the top, Ryan, and see if we can find some more. But uh, if you guys have questions, please throw them in. I know we have some super chats that we'll, we'll I'll get started here as well. But uh, if you have some questions you want us to get to uh, from a recruiting standpoint, we will we will get to those and, and try to answer as many as we can here for the next hour or so of this. So Ryan, let's go ahead and get started. We did have a couple super chats I want to pull up. We have one from our guy, Truman Demel. Truman, thank you very, very much for your super chat. He says, what will the Jadens do for Notre Dame? Jaden, be Jaden Lamar, Jaden Osbury, Jaden Greathouse, uh, also um, Tyler Parker. So I'm not sure who that is, but yes, there's a lot of, and then Jalen, there's also some Jalen's, oh, right? Oh, I, I know who Tyler, Tyler Parker was that a uh, 14 year old that I sent you that. that oh, the big old joker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That big Good kid. Lord. Yeah. I didn't see who his name was I'm like, that's insane. But yeah, yeah. A lot of Jaden's and they got Jaden Bellamy last year, right? Got Jalen Sneed last year. So uh, yeah, I mean, so Ryan, let, I mean, obviously the name is great, but I mean, these are, these are, really good football players and let's assume for a second Notre Dame gets Jaden Osbury just for the sake of answering Truman question Truman's question you know what do those guys do for Notre Dame I think it's transformative I mean for, di- for different reasons right I mean we talked a lot about great house obviously when we had him on the show after he committed I think that he is going to be able to come in day one and help Notre Dame's receiving core right like and I think he's because what was it Brian four scholarship receivers right after the season that you're that you're guaranteed yeah. right and it is something where you need the 2023 recruiting class. You need wide receivers to come and be able to help from day one. And I think that's what you're going to get in Jay Nosberry. And I mean, sorry, in Jane Greathouse, Jay Nosberry, if Notre Dame's able to close on him, he is an impactful player because I believe that long-term he could be the voice of your defense. Like he could mm-hmm. be the quarterback of a defense. That's what I see it with his upside mm-hmm. because he's just so intelligent and he's infectious. I think, and that's what Sean always talks about. Whenever he talks yeah. about, he doesn't talk about instincts, or I mean, he doesn't talk about speed, or he just talks about that right there. This guy is going to yes. call your defense, and he's going to be a team captain. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and it, it, that's infectious, man. I think that that's the word that 
I use for the coaching staff. And I think that you're getting players that are also having an infectious personality. So I think that's what he can bring. And then Jane Lamar, I, I like Jane Lamar. I think that Jane Lamar can be a, a positive and good all purpose player in your, in your, in your um, modern game today, right? Like mm-hmm. Notre Dame is going to ask their running backs to not only handle business in the run game, but to also pass block to also catch the football. And that's what Jaden Lamar brings to me. It's the all around football game. So mm-hmm. I think that all three of those guys are going to be very, very important to Notre Dame's uh, future moving forward here. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. Truman and, Yes, Tyler Parker is that young man that's the uh the video has been surfacing over. He's a, like a 295 pounds, 14 year old. I believe he's at uh, is he at Santa Mar San he's at, he's out in California somewhere. I forget where he's at, but it is yeah, he moved, he looks pretty good for his age. We'll just leave it at that and we'll see. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Uh Truman also had another another super chat, Ryan. Uh thank you again, Truman. Is Ronan Hannafin an Ed McCaffrey, Chase Claypool type of guy? That's an interesting question. I, I would say, I mean, so like Easy Ed was, he was more back shoulder big guy, right? Like he wasn't a dynamic athlete. Right. Claypool's a dynamic athlete. I don't wouldn't say if, Ronan Hannafin's a really good athlete. I don't know if he's quite Chase Claypool athlete though. Like Chase Claypool's a historically gifted yeah. type of athlete for his size, right? Right. I would say that Ronan <clears throat> Hannafin for me is a guy where, like, hey, man, he's 6'3", 205 pounds. He's going to be 210, 215 before you know it, and he's a 4'4 type of kid. So he's a dynamic athlete in his own right. I would say he's somewhere in between those two because I think he's definitely a more gifted athlete from Ed, than Ed McCaffrey was playing for the Denver Broncos. But he's – I mean, Chase Claypool, there's not many guys historically that have tested to the degree of Chase Claypool at his size. Yeah, and, and Ronan just doesn't have that size. I mean – I don't think he will. I don't think his body is built like Chase's. I mean, Chase was a freakish. I mean, there's, I mean, you should see him dunking in high school. I mean, that guy was an insane athlete. I think Ronan. I I know he wasn't against the best competition coming out of Canada for basketball, but he averaged like 40 points a game. It's insane. Again, I don't care what level you're playing at. You're pretty athletic if you score 40 points a game playing basketball. I don't care who you're playing against. The the thing about Ronan, I will say this. I think Ronan's a more natural football player than Chase was. Chase was always a super athletic guy that was trying to learn how to play football. I don't think I don't think Ronan is a like he's still raw as a receiver technically, mm-hmm. but he knows how to play football, right? Like that's the thing with Chase was always like you know learn wasn't just learning route running for Chase. It was learning a lot of different aspects of of playing wide receiver, and I think that's one thing that Ronan has going for him. And and look, you, the reality is. is you know, Ed McC- I'm a Broncos fan, right? So, I mean, I watched a lot of Ed McCaffrey in his, in his career. You know, obviously at Stanford, he was a good player. He was a possession type of receiver. I'll say this. If you're going to talk about – so, like, Ryan, you made a comparison with Chase athletically in that, and that I agree with it. I'm going to go here, though, with Chase. I do think Ronan's game can very much look a lot like Chase's game in college. That is where I think there could be a comparison. I don't think they're comparable. Their body types are different. You know, all those type of things are different. But when you look at Chase was a guy that could stretch the field, I think Ronan can stretch the field. Chase could win contested throws. I think Chase has the potential to be that. Chase could make plays after the catch, and I think Ronan can bring that to the table. So, you know, a guy that could play some W, a guy that can play some X. Because remember, Chase started at three different positions in his Notre Dame career. He ended up being their starter in the slot in 2018. He started at uh, – excuse me, 2017, he ended up, be, he eventually emerged as the starting slot receiver in 2017. 
uh, played some outside, but mostly played inside at the slot. Then in 2018, he moves out and starts at X with Miles Boykin at W. And then when Miles leaves and graduates, then Chase moves to W, and that's when he broke out. I think Ronan brings a lot of that to the table as well. I think he's more of an outside guy, but Ronan is a guy that I think when you look at what he did on a football field, I do think you can see some similarities to how he impacted the game and how Chase Claypool can impact the game. What are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Even, again, different type of athlete, but as far as how they impact the game, where Ed McCaffrey was a completely different type of player than I think what Chase Claypool was. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah, I think for me, Chase... I mean, he was a very raw player, obviously, mm-hmm. early on in his career. And I mean, he's still a little raw, for being completely honest. It's just he's 6'4", 230 pounds, and he can run in the 4'4s, and he can vertical 40-plus inches. Like, he's just a insane athlete. I think from day one, Ronan Hannafin's going to give you a higher baseline as far as early on in his career because he, I think he could be a multi-level threat. Like, I think that he can do those things down the field as far as a vertical type of player, but I think also – You've seen him have the ability to get in and out of breaks. He brings a big a break, big catch radius where I think that he can be a short to intermediate pass catcher that can give you a lot of impact in that regard. And then I think that he can also do stuff in the in the run game, you know, as a blocker. And I can do all that because he has that defensive demeanor to him, right? Because we talked about a lot about that. He's a little more natural on the defensive side of the football than the offensive side of the football right now. So he's got a little bit of tenacity to him as a football player. So I think the impact early on, especially for Ronan Hannafin, can be maybe higher from a baseline perspective than Chase. And while he might not have quite the upside of a Chase Claypool, Roden Hannafin is a really good athlete. Like he yeah. has high upside. It might not yeah. be to Chase's degree, but not many people that have right. ever played have the highest upside as Chase from an athleticism perspective. I could see Ronan's testing numbers being somewhat similar to Chase's when his career's over. But again, Chase did that at 6'4 plus – 230 pounds yeah, right yeah. i mean that's 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 where we're saying is like because like kevin austin uh, just 
his numbers were almost identical to Chase's from an, a, an explosiveness and a vert in a 40 yard standpoint. Right. But if you stand those two guys to get next to each other, Kevin Austin is a physical specimen. He is small when he stands next to Chase Claypool. I mean, Chase Claypool is a massive human being for a wide receiver. And, and that's the big difference there. All right. Let's I get would to- say I, I, one person that I've compared mm-hmm. him to in the past, Brian, that we've talked about is Alec mm-hmm. Pierce from, from yeah. Cincinnati, who I thought was a really underrated athlete. And I was just going back to his combine performance. I mean, Alec at, he was six, three, what, what exactly was he was. So he was six, three, right around 211 pounds, 33 inch arms. So long, long dude ran four, four, one, 40 and a half inch vert and had 129 inch broad jump so he was a silly athlete and i think that that's what you i think body type wise and then i mean i wouldn't be surprised if eventually ronan's somewhere in that testing field like that's a pretty special athlete to his own right i i hate i personally have always shied away from that comparison because i feel like it's lazy because we're comparing two white kids but i mean the athletic profile fits ryan alec is 6'3 to 11 that's kind of where we see ronan Long yep. arms, you know, similar style of play, can vertical, can do some things after the catch. Uh, so, I mean, it makes sense, even though I've kind of begrudgingly. I hate when people, like, compare two players, and they always, like, if it's a white guy, you always got to get a white guy. If it's a black quarterback, you always got to compare him to another black quarterback. I think it's lazy. It's fair. You know, um, but uh, I've tried to find a better comparison for him, and I just can't find a better one than, than and, Alec and Pierce. If, Alex if you want to see – if you. If you want to see the impact that Alec Pierce can have, just go back to the Notre Dame game last year. Like that's all, all you need to know. Yeah, yeah, no, no question, no question. Got a super chat from Rob Osgood. Thanks, Rob. Hey guys, in the twenty-four class, what position besides receivers critical in getting? Also, as the twenty-four class as a whole, what positions are strong in talent? I just, I'm going to answer the second one first. Round. I'll let you answer the first. It's sure. still a little early to kind of know which positions are going to be really strong. Like I thought last year that the tight end class in 23 was going to end up being really good and guys just didn't progress and pan out. So it's a little bit early on that one. Uh, But I think it's another good year quarterback. I think the one position that to me that stands out 24, Ryan, is going to lead us right into the question you're about to ask. I have seen a lot or about to answer. I have seen a, this is, this looks to be so far a really, really, deep year at wide receiver in the 2024 class it sure does and i mean rob obviously you you talked a little bit wide receiver in your question right and i think that where notre dame if they have three in this in 2023 then we're talking about seven scholarship receivers potentially going into 2024 and i think that you have to have another big year you have to have another three to four man class and there's a lot of talent to brian's point you know we talked about uh, in nauseam about guys like Ryan Wingo and Micah Hudson and Emmett Mosley and Tysier Denmark and Cam Williams. And there's so many talented receivers in that class. And I would honestly say, I mean, one of the big, the big, what was critical, Brian, honestly, we already have, Notre Dame already has it. They got CJ Carr and <laughs> a quarterback, mm-hmm. right? Like that is obviously critical. I would also say cornerback, I think is another big one, right? Like I think that Notre Dame has continued to pile up good cornerback classes, but it seems to my, in my opinion, anyway, early on, Really good cornerback class in 2024 as well. I mean, you got guys like mm-hmm. Emilio Edgard and uh, Caleb Beasley, and there's some really good corners on the board too. So that one could be another one where I think you have an opportunity to do really well as far as wide receiver and corner in next year's class. And and also to add to your corner discussion, Ryan, I think there's also a decent number of corners in the north 
and 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 also regions that are friendlier to Notre Dame, like Tennessee, Caleb Beasley in Tennessee, nearly a guards from Jersey. There's two really good corners in Ohio, Austin Scott and uh, Bryce West. Obviously, Ohio State's going to be you know the, the considered leaders for for them. But there's it's a, it's a good year in the North for athletes, and that's something we've talked about in the past as well. I think as we look at the 24 class, that's something that stands out too. I mean, there's a five-star defensive tackle from that goes to a really good private school in Chicago. That doesn't happen often, right? There's a top sure. 100 caliber receiver at a really good high school in Chicago that Notre Dame already has in the class. There's a, you know, I mean, the success they've had. I mean, they are off to a great start with four guys that I that I view are, you know, that are three of them are ranked in the top 100 by at least one service. I think they're all top 100 caliber-ish players, especially Cam Williams, uh, CJ Carr, and Brandon Davis Swain, and uh, you know all except for Jack Larson are from schools that are considered Notre Dame's backyard. Or, I mean, I think New Jersey is not Notre Dame's backyard logistically, but it is from a recruiting standpoint, because there's, as you know, Ryan living there, there's a lot of natural transition to Notre Dame from a lot of Catholics, you know, a lot of Catholic schools, a lot of private schools, a lot of people with, you know, Italian backgrounds. There's a lot of there's a lot of favorableness, and I'm not only talking about players. I'm talking about coaches because they can be very influential. You know, go look at the name of Bergen Catholic's coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, dude. I think he's still the head coach, right? Now he might have left so. within the last couple of years, but uh, you know, I mean, so I think there's a natural. Tra- so I mean, I count Jersey as their backyard. That's a place Notre Dame should have success, and they're very good and the, they're very loaded in the 24 class because early on we were like. That's helping 23, but I don't you can't repeat that every year. Well, then as we get to learn more about the 24 class, you're saying, dude, this is gonna be another really good year in the north, which sure. could really benefit Notre Dame because it, there's just a lot of players that kind of that kind of fall into that category. I'm all, I'm also excited and interested to see what the offensive line class looks like for 2024. Because we've talked a lot about the board being a little bit smaller mm-hmm. right now. Guys like Gerby Lambert, who's out of the state of Massachusetts, and Peter Jones, that's out of Pennsylvania, Malvern Prep. Uh, interested because Notre Dame got a couple guys that maybe fit that tackle profile in 2023, hopefully. But I think it's really important for Coach Heastan and the staff to get a couple offensive tackle types in 2024. I think that's going to be vital because it might be a little bit of a smaller class. So I think that you really need to hit home runs as far as offensive tackles in the class are mm-hmm. concerned. Yep. Got some more questions here. Really good start so far. ICURN with Irish Luck. Still think Osbury can be for the Notre Dame defense what Dean was for the Georgia defense, especially from a leadership and football IQ and getting guys lined up. This is one that Sean brought up this weekend too, Ryan, and I've been wanting to – I've been holding to ask you this until the show. Mm-hmm. I, I think their body types are a little different, but I think that that is a very fair comparison. And I would argue that Jaden Osbury is a better athlete. But yes. as far as impact on the field – Yes, I see a lot of Nicobe Dean in Jaden Osbury. I wanted to ask you because obviously I know you've studied uh, Nicobe Dean a lot in regards to getting ready for your draft prep. Do you think he can have a similar impact in not just playmaking a bit, but the all-around impact that Nicobe Dean? Because I'll say this: Nicobe Dean might have been the worst draft prospect that Georgia had at linebacker last year, but in a Georgia uniform, he was hands down their best linebacker last year, and I would argue the best linebacker they've had since Raquan Smith. Back in seventeen, I would make that case as far as just production and leadership and all and impact on the game. That's my my stance on that. I still believe that Nicobe Dean would have at worst been the second Georgia linebacker drafted, if not for the injury concerns that were kind of leading up to the draft. But there are parallels in the size comparison, and I think the biggest parallel for me, Brian, is that they have the intangibles to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't quantify the leadership and the just football IQ that each of them have, and they 
and I think to your point, Jaden Osbury is probably a better athlete than mm-hmm. like Nicobe yeah. Dean was fine. He was he was a good, solid athlete, but I think that Jaden Osbury has a little more juice to him as far as a pure athlete than Nicobe Dean. So Nicobe Dean was a fantastic player, though, and the reason he was is that he was a ferocious player, played with a lot of instinct and a lot of physicality, and he was just always around the football, and that's what made Nicobe Dean such a, a really good player for Georgia, obviously, last year. And I do see some of those similar traits with Jay Nosberry, but it might even be in a more athletic package. So it's a very mm-hmm. interesting comparison. Yep. Very good question. I appreciate that question. We've got one up here from Archer, resident Ohio State fan. What is the realistic finish for the Notre Dame class? Who are the players and how many points will that class have? have you- so if we're, wor- if we're working through just some of the key targets that are left, you're talking about the quarterback position. We've talked in, a lot at this point about – Austin Nova said, Kenny Minchie, I believe that Notre Dame is going to get a quarterback in this class. Whether it's one of those two remains to be seen. We will see kind of moving forward. Running back, Notre Dame is still high, and they are in a good position, in my opinion, with Jeremiah Love, the running back out of Missouri. They have Ronan Hannafin that is still on the board at wide receiver, which would hopefully finish up what is a gap-closing wide receiver group. Tight end, they're done. Offensive line, they're done. Defensive line, they're probably done. Linebacker, this show was dedicated to Jay Osbury in the beginning, right? So that's the last piece to the to the to the class potentially at linebacker. They also have Samuel and Pemba, who's out there that could be a Rover, Viper, Mike, Will, like wherever he wants to play. He's a defensive athlete for Notre Dame. And I, safety, I, I mean, they're, they're they're taking a look at Ben Minnick, right, right, Brian. So that that's a guy that they're doing. Ben Minich, right? Ben Minich, excuse me. Ben Minich, who they're doing their deep homework on. He's an Ohio safety, so might be somebody that there's worth keeping tabs on. We'll, we'll shall, shall see. He's scheduled to visit the, the for the barbecue on the 26th, so we'll have kind of updates on that moving forward as far as where things are trending with Notre Dame. So that's kind of where it sits, Archer. I think if Notre Dame closes on everyone they should close on, and let's say that they get a Austin Novosad in this hypothetical that is now rated as a top 100 recruit by a service, I still think a top three class is very possible. Do they have a claim for number one? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be do. close. Well, no, be I'm tough. saying like yeah, it, it's right. going to be close for number one, but I think not my top my, three absolutely. Yeah. My response wasn't to you, Ryan. It was to the people that are just assuming Notre Dame can't have a number one class. And and my point is, look, well, they need to land more five star players. Well, we just saw a couple guys jump way up into that five star category that are committed to Notre Dame, right? The other thing is I I don't think people are putting enough appreciation into just how deep Notre Dame's class is in regards to highly ranked players. I mean, we just talked about 17 of their 20 commits are ranked in the two in the top 247 on the 247 sports rankings. And you look at the guys that we think they're going to commitment get commitments from, they're all ranked in the top 247, right? So there's two types of ways to have a highly ranked class have a bunch of five stars and then a gap and then, you know, a bunch of, and you're going to be ranked high because of the emphasis they put on five stars. The other way is just have like everybody in your class is ranked as Mm -hmm. as a four star. And then you do have some of those. So when I look at their, their points, I think the way that things are progressing, I think they could get anywhere from like 297 to 300, which here's the other aspect of it too, Archer is I think what a lot of people are missing is they're still working off the assumption that the top five teams are going to look a lot like the last five years. Well, if that's true, if you look at Notre Dame's number based on what we project, then they're going to finish. There was like two, in the last 10 years, there was like two years. I think they'd have finished second and then a bunch of four threes and fours and then like one or two fives in some different years. But most often than not, like three to four range. But here's what I think we're missing 
if you go back and look at where, if you go look right now where kids are committing to, Miami's taking kids that would have otherwise gone to Bama, Georgia, you know, Ohio State. Not Ohio State, not so much, but Bama, Georgia. Uh, Tennessee's taking some of those kids that would have gone to Bama, Georgia, places like that. Uh, USC, you know, not getting some of the West Coast kids. So I, I have a feeling, and again, I've, I've pointed this out, you look where other kids are committing. There are a lot of kids committing. Now, flips could happen, but it's like for, for Georgia, for example, Georgia would have to close on a bunch of kids they're not considered the leader for right now and flip some kids to be able to get where they normally are. Why? Because some of the kids they've been getting, they're not getting. I have my reason why. I've always kind of felt like Georgia was involved in some nefarious stuff to get recruits. I just how I felt. Uh, well, now they're not having having as much success with that despite a championship because of a coaching turnover and and losing Dan Lanning as a recruiter has had a big impact. And there's other guys in their staff. They lost the receivers coach going to LSU, big impact. And, and also because some other schools are able to kind of now buy guys, which, you know, in a, in a legal fashion. So I think that's impacting these classes too. Now, is Bama going to finish in the top three? Yeah, most likely. But like Texas, I, I went the other day and I, and I pointed this out or did this. I gave them Anthony Hill. I gave them Malik Muhammad. There's a top hundred lineman they're after. I gave them like five or six guys that they're crystal balled for, and then two are, that are top guys, and then some others. And they still don't get to where Notre Dame is points wise. The only team that I've been able to have ahead of Notre Dame right now, if you give them all the guys they're projected to get, and then throw in a couple others, is Ohio State, and that's by a point. Yeah. And the highest I've been able to get anybody to so far is like 298. And that was Ohio state. Because again, I think the talent is being spread out a little bit more than it has in the past. I feel like a guy like Jaden Wayne, I feel like a year ago, Jaden Wayne type guys go to Alabama or go to Georgia. Now he's going to Miami. Samson, Oklahoma goes to Alabama or Georgia. Now they still may get Samson, but now Miami's a player. Now Tennessee's a player for some of these guys, you know, pre NIL does, does Nico sign with, Tennessee? Tennessee. No. <laughs> no. Does Jaden Rashada go to Miami? No. He goes to USC, Alabama, yes. Oregon, AM, something like that. Right. And so that's the other factor to it. But I, I think I think in I, I think right now, I think three, two to three is the most realistic, unless they can either pull off an upset we're not expecting, or Ohio State doesn't get a kid or two that they're supposed to get, which is, you know, obviously still part of it. Notre Dame could end up not getting a kid that we think they're going to get. That's part of how it goes. But I, I think two, one to three range is the range right now based on the numbers projections that I've been able to come up with. Right? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wild if Ohio state and Notre Dame had the top two classes in, in the, in I mean, 2023? they're so far ahead of everybody else. Right. I know now. they are. I mean, I, I mean, even with all the, I mean, I'm just going, I mean, again, Bama's well behind in numbers now, right? Like they, they don't have the number of commitments, but like, even if you go like to the, uh, the compot, the team rankings for two, four, seven, the composite, right. Mm-hmm. Bama's had a run. They're up to 12, but you know, they're still 11th. Yeah. You know I mean? They're, they're really way behind where Notre Dame and like Ohio state is less than a point ahead of now, again, less than a point. The, the top number is 286, right? So it's different than rivals where the number one is 2,697. It's just a different point system, right? But the number one team is Ohio state. Notre Dame is less than a point behind them. The next closest team is over 20 points behind them. Crazy. You know, and and so it's like they're they're really far off. And then when you go to rivals, as I pointed out, this you know the the Ohio State and Notre Dame are both first with two thousand I think two thousand six hundred ninety seven points. 
Texas is number three. They're over 500 points behind them. And, and so, you know, it's like Notre Dame has to not get anyone as they load up on highly ranked players. And that's after Texas went on this crazy run of getting all these top 100 guys, and they're still 500 points behind Notre Dame, and they're not that far behind Notre Dame in numbers. They're only two people behind Notre Dame in numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Bama, you could make the case because they've only got 12, right? But Texas is at 18. Clemson's at 17. They're not like way behind Notre Dame, and they're still – you know, as far as numbers, but they're still way behind in points. So I, I think Ohio State have dis, Ohio State and Notre Dame have distanced themselves to the point where we're talking about where they're going to finish in the top three to four, not if they're going to finish in the top three to four. Assuming they're right. able to keep this class together, that's the key for both of them. That's the key for everybody at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very, very, very good question there. Uh, Brandon is a little fired up today, Ryan. Yeah, Brandon says Tamir Robinson two four seven is Tamir Robinson ahead of Drake Bowen. That is ridiculous. And we both like Tamir quite a bit, but no, he's not. No, no, Ryan. I'm sorry. That's just, it's a lot of projection. It's a lot. It's, of a, it's a bad take. Yeah. Uh, here we go, Ryan. Here's one for you. Cause you've been all over this one. What is your, so as part of this answer, can you just kind of give the latest on, on, on things? But Seth sure. Clark asks, what is your confidence level on Jeremiah love? Right. As of right now. Yeah, if you're on the board, I, I put a – I guess it was a couple weeks now at this point after his visit to Notre Dame that Jeremiah told me that Notre Dame was in his top two schools and things were trending very well and he really likes Notre Dame a ton. He wants to have a summer decision made, so this is something that we will know before fall as of right now. I think Notre Dame has a very good chance and – you know, on the board, I kind of speculated on who I think the other team is that's in the top two. I don't really want to put that out in the universe. We'll keep that one on the board. But Notre Dame is in a really good spot. If I had to put a confidence level, I think, Seth, I think last time I talked about Jeremiah, Brian, I'm trying to remember, I think I said like six and a half was my confidence level. Mm-hmm. I'm up to about an eight now. Okay. I, I, I think we're trending in a really good direction. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, Jeremiah has really great interactions with a lot of Notre Dame recruits on Twitter, and he's spoken so highly of Notre Dame every single time I've talked to him. And I know he had a really good visit with Notre Dame and just with how things are trending. I, I feel I'm starting to feel really good about that. Yeah. So we'll see. Yep. Yep. Notre Dame's done a great job and the commits are doing a great job on him as well. I mean, you you mentioned this, I got, I think we need to be careful kind of putting too much sometimes on Twitter action reactions and likes and all that. Uh, But you know, that's one where not what we see on what you're seeing on Twitter with Jeremiah and his relationship with Notre Dame commits is what we're also hearing is going on a lot behind the scenes as well, which factors into that 99 problems, but BK ain't one not trying to be petty legit question. If LSU had a different head coach than Brian Kelly, even Orgeron, do you think Notre Dame has a harder time pulling Osbury away from LSU? I I guess it depends who it is. I mean, for the context, but I, I think that Jaden Osbury was always very yeah. fine with leaving right. Louisiana. Like, I'm not putting that on Brian Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. It's the same thing with like, I mean, if we did a hypothetical with Braylon James with a different coach out of Texas, right? It's like, right. I don't think so. I, I think Braylon James is just one of those kids that just doesn't care about staying close to home. Like, right. And matter of fact, it was, it was Texas being close to home was a hindrance to him and how he viewed it. It's not a shot on Sark. I mean, they're putting together a heck of a class. I, some kids are just that way. I think Jaden, and, and I think also, I, I, from what I've been told, his dad has has put zero pressure on him to go to that school. I mean, there's never been that kind of. I mean, his brother didn't go to LSU. His brother decided to go somewhere else. I, I, I believe LSU offered him and wanted him. Uh, so yeah, as much as I would like to take a shot at Brian Kelly, I'm not going to do it unless it's justified in this particular instance. 
right. uh, it, it is not. Although somebody somebody put a, a, a sent me a tweet earlier. Uh, let me see if I can find it about a comment that Brian Kelly made it at the um, at the uh, the what is it, the SEC thing, right? And I have to find it, but it was something about somebody asked him if you know his thoughts on their name joining the conference and. He responded with, you know, I got more important things to worry about, like trying to fix the slice I've been dealing this last couple of weeks. It's like, dude, you, you you clown yourself and you don't even really realize it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're at the SEC media day and you're talking about your golf game. Like, all right. I wish I wish I could say what I actually feel, but yeah. I'll keep it, I'll keep it PG. <laughs> That's good. Here. good. It's a family show, Ryan. <laughs> yes, it is. Show. Uh, Zach Martin, who compares the most in to, to Marist in the 22 and 23 classes? I think that's actually kind of an easy one. You think it's an easy one? Okay, so mm-hmm. let me let me take a, 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 a give a shot at it and then see if you agree. Mm-hmm. 2022, I would say the one that compares most in that class is Nolan Ziegler. Am I good so far? I, I see where you're no. going with that, and 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 yeah. and, and oh, where you I think you're going point. with it because you're going with length. Yes. I think where you're going with length, yes, yes. very similar. I was going to go with Jalen Snead, just because of the ah. explosiveness, but body That's type fair. and explosiveness, fair. yours makes a lot of sense. So maybe it's not as okay. easy as I thought it was. Yeah, I don't but think yes, it's as easy. I, I think that's, looking, I think that's fair because I'm looking at 2023 now. And there's not really someone that compares that well to him, to be honest. I, I guess I would say Drake Bowen, I guess, for like the versatility he brings in coverage. Yeah. I don't know. I think they're very different type of ath- like players. I mean, but yeah, but if, I, I if think we're the Nolan one. to a Preston Zinter yeah. or potentially a Jay Nosbury, they're sure. also very different athletes. Yeah. I think, I think to me, my first thought was Jalen Sneed, easy, just because the explosiveness, the pass rushing ability, the the coverage potential, and all that. I was thinking that, but but Nolan's an interesting. Yeah, Nolan fits well because Nolan is an explosive athlete as well, but he's very long, a lot like Marist. Where Jalen's, you know, Jalen's got long arms, but he's six one. You know, Nolan's got long arms and he's six four, which is much closer to Marist. So yeah, I think that one makes a lot of sense. It's a good one, Ryan. Very good one. Mm-hmm. 99 problems with BK1. If Notre Dame lands Allsbury, how does the 23 linebacker group compare to the 22 linebacker group if you count Burnham as a Viper? So the three and the three. Uh, I still I still give the very slight edge of 22 because I think Ziegler was criminally underrated. So yeah, we're we're gonna base this off of what we think, not what rankings think, because you are correct. Nolan Ziegler was definitely underrated. So Ryan, why don't you take a crack at that? How does if we're just talking about rankings wise and and who was better not fit together because that's the ultimate goal right is they fit together, but who who would you say is the better group between twenty two and and twenty three? Well, I'm going to compare them one to one as far as the positions they play. I think that might be a good place to start. So I'm going to start with Junior to Lamaca to Preston Zinter. Mm-hmm. I think Preston might have slightly higher upside if he taps into everything from a length perspective and an athleticism perspective. But I think that Junior Toya Lamaka is a better recruit, just kind of one to one, right? So I'm going to give the edge there to 2022. 2023, if I go to Nolan Ziegler as my will or Drake Bowen, I will take Drake Bowen in that conversation. It's a very interesting one, but and I we're will. We're both very high on Nolan Ziegler. Yes. Very high, but Drake, very high. Yes. And then Here, my here's, let, let me say this. Yeah. The interesting thing is Nolan completely outplayed Drake last year when they played head to head, completely mm-hmm. outplayed him. But the, my response is always going to be Nolan's a year ahead, right? Like sure. that's, you know, but, but it, that also it's how they're used. But it, 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 
I just want to point out that Nolan Ziegler is, he's correct, is criminally underrated. But I think that says a lot about how high you and I are on Drake Bowen. That it's kind of a, yeah, yeah, we're both going to go with that one. Yep. And then the last one, obviously, is the rover spot in this scenario. We have Jalen Osbury in the class. So it's going to be Jaden Osbury versus Jalen Sneed. This is where it gets tough for me, Brian, because I think I, I I would I would ultimately opt for Jalen Sneed just because his upside is so high. Mm-hmm. But if you told me that you thought uh, that Jane Osbury is a better football player in high school than Jalen mm-hmm. Sneed, I'd be like, OK, yep, sure. I, 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 I'm good with that. So I would slightly defer to 2022 because that means I'm two out of three for 2022. But I mm-hmm. do think it's a really close conversation. Yeah, to be honest. I, I think if you were to even so for me, it's 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 kind of easy. It's 22. Just because, I mean, I, I go two out of the three I give to the 22 class because I, I would put Jalen Seed ahead. Because when I when I think of a prospect, I think the combination of floor and ceiling, and and I think Jalen Sneed has a much higher ceiling. Jaden Osbury has a, a higher floor, but the overall, I, I still give the edge to, to Jalen Sneed as a prospect. Would I be shocked if Osbury's better? No, but just as a prospect, I'm going with Jalen Sneed. But, you know, like you said, it's it's, it's close. I, I, you know, I graded them both as top 50 players, Nolan Ziegler and, and Drake Bowen. It's somewhat close, but I go with Drake there. The difference for me is I think the Mike, there's a big difference in Mike. I, I don't think Preston Zinter has a higher upside just for me than, than, than junior Chilamaka. I think he's probably a better natural athlete, but I think junior's a better, like a better, just a much better football player. And, and just so instinctive. It's like what you talk, I mean, just the eye discipline, the instincts, the the technique, the power, I just think all those things fit. So I, he he just he's more of a natural Mike for me, which is kind of why I give the slight edge to 2022. But again, we're basing this, folks, off of how we've evaluated the 23 class after their junior years, whereas we're evaluating the 2022 class after how they are as seniors, right? If I were to look at them after their junior years, my conversation would be a little bit different, and I may I'd probably go to the 23 class if we're just basing off of it at their junior film. Mm-hmm. But their senior film, I mean, Junior Two Amaka took a jump for me as a as a senior. Jalen Sneed took a jump for me as a senior because he got to finally play some linebacker. Nolan Ziegler had a, I mean, if we're talking about all these players, nobody had a better individual season than all around than what Nolan Ziegler did as a senior. I mean, you're talking about a kid that was a great defensive player who, against Drake Bowen's team, intercepts a bubble screen and takes it to the house. Kid also had over a thousand yards receiving. I was about to say right? he was a good receiver yeah. too, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, you know, it, the, the now here's the best part. The great thing is, is we don't have to say who's better, who's worse, because they're all going to be on the same team. And that's the exciting thing is they have upped linebacker recruiting a ton. But as of right now, based on everything we know about the 22 class and everything we know about the 23 class, I'd give a slight edge to 22. Yep. What's going to be interesting, 99 is ask us this again after their senior years. And I'm curious to see how it's going to be. That's that's going to be a very, um, very interesting conversation to see how these guys develop. Tommy Guns asked, Brian, how do you see Oregon's class shaping out since they got uh, Dante Moore, the kid who shall remain unnamed? We'll go ahead and name him. It's Dante Moore. It's all good. Uh, they're starting to fill out. It's a small class right now, but they've got some good players in it. Really good receiving core so far. They got two really good wide receivers. Uh, the thing that hurts their class, Ryan, is they got a really good receiver named Kyler Casper, who's really talented, but he reclassified to 22. Otherwise, they would have three stud receivers in this class, in my opinion, or two stud oh, receivers oh. and one really good player. 
Did Casper re- reclassify? He reclassified. I completely yeah. missed that one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he reclassified to 22. Uh, got a really good corner in Cole Presley. Cole Martin's a solid player, a little overrated. Uh, they got a safety that I like a lot uh, you know, recently that, that's a pretty good football player from Texas, uh, Tyler Turner. He's a good football player. It's a, it's a quality class. It's going to be about the finish. But, you know, offensively, they've got a couple really good skill players that they needed. And, and Ryan, I know you especially. I mean, I like Caleb Presley a decent amount. I know you really like Caleb Presley. So that was a, a very strong pickup for them in the secondary. And they, they definitely needed that for sure. Yeah, he's – I mean, he's one of the best press man guys I've seen in the class, right? Like, yeah. he is just so physical, man. Like, <laughs> and some guys just get st- – he, he's one of those guys that can take players into the into the seats yeah. occasionally, right? Like, yeah. he's one of those dudes. So, having him with Dante, I mean, it's it's a good class so far. We'll, yeah. we'll see again. Not, low numbers right now, but as, if it fills up and continues the momentum, then it should be a quality class to your point. Right. Yeah, it, it's – it's they got to finish. We'll see how it goes. Here's yeah. a really good one. Who was the be- who was better as a prospect, Jalen Smith or Keon Keeley? I, I I can't I can't comment on Jalen Smith. I didn't really cover it. Like I was just a very casual watcher of him. I mean, I mean, wasn't Jalen Smith the number one player in the class though? Like he was. No, like, he's like third. Third. Yeah. Okay. Very similar ranking. Act, yeah. yeah. Let me let me because I, I know Rivals had him. Pretty sure Rivals had him third. Let me just let me just pull up that so we can give an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen's recruiting profile. He was ranked as the number five player in the country by two, four, seven, number three by rivals and number seven by ESPN. Let's see who ESPN had ahead of Jalen Smith. Let's go look at that real quick. That should be interesting. Cause he, he was part of the 2013 class. Um, so of course ESPN's taking forever to load. I'll, I'll say this. They had, uh, uh, Robert in Kendichi, number one, Ole yep. Miss, Carl Lawson, number two, Vernon Hargraves number three, okay. Mackenzie Alexander number four, okay. Laramie Tunsil number five, fair. Matthew Thomas number six. Oh, Matthew Thomas, former Florida State. Yeah. Great. Wow. Yeah. About Matthew Thomas? I would say coming out from what I remember of them, the only guys that I would even remotely consider being ahead of J- should have been considered ahead of Jalen Tunsil was a phenomenal offensive lineman coming out. Yep. Uh, and then Robert Kendichi was was I would have been okay with it, but I always felt with him, I always felt he was kind of advanced, and I wasn't sure how much better he was going to get. Mm-hmm. But here's a guy that I thought was underrated in that class should have been in the top five. Derrick Henry was a monster in high school. Oh, a his monster. Stats are- his stats are the most ridiculous thing yeah. you've ever seen. Like, he was number nine. This is this was one heck of a class. Mm-hmm. It had uh, Kelvin Taylor in it. It was a decent running back. Derek Henry, Eddie Vanderdose, Eli Apple, Sua Cravens. Jalen Ramsey was ranked 14th. Uh, man, Kendall Fuller, Laquan Treadwell. Uh, Kenny Bigelow was a good player before injuries set in. Max Max Redfield, obviously, was in that class. Keith Ford was a pretty decent running back in, in, in college. Alvin Kamara was in that class. Pretty good. Leon player. McQuay he turned out to not be that good. Shaq Wiggins, Jerry Conley from Ohio State, who was a really good player for them. Uh, OJ Howard was in that class. Chris Jones, kid who went to Mississippi oh, State, now with the Chiefs. Oh, he was in that he's, class. He's now the second best def- interior yep. defensive lineman behind Aaron Donald yep. in the NFL. He's fantastic. Yep. Von Bell was in that class. Joey Bosa was ranked 56th in the country in that class. Al Kadeen Muhammad was in that class. Uh, that was one heck of a class. Goodness, and I'm 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 still in the 60s. I still say Torian Folsom would have been a would have been a had a heck of a Notre Dame career if not for the injury. I, 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 I really really do believe that Ben Bolwer was in that class. 
he just seems like he was older than that. He seemed like he's one of those guys that was just always like you know, that eighth year senior kind of guy that Clemson always seems to. Oh, he was. He was be able to find. And then, and then James Skalski was the new one of him. Yeah, exactly. Ashawn Robinson was in that class. He wasn't even the top. <laughs> ESPN's great at rankings. The number one hundred and nine player in the country. This is running back out of Missouri, uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> Wait, was he in that class, too? Elliott he was, was 109th. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep. Taco Charlton was 116th in that class. That's one That's heck of a class, man. Yeah. That is one heck of a recruiting class. Goodness gracious. That is crazy. Yeah, Notre Dame didn't think he could play. Isaac Rochelle was in that class. Notre Dame didn't think he was good enough to play uh, running back. They wanted him as a corner. So. It's disgusting. Really, really, really wise decision. Yeah, Alvin, really Alvin wise Kamara, decision. Derek Henry, and Zeke were in the same recruiting class, huh? Yeah. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good class. Oh, man. Fun years. Jake Butt was in that class. He, I would have liked to see what Jake Butt could have become if he didn't get injured. Jerdavious White was in that class. He was ranked on number 186. Wow. Two spots ahead of Devin Butler. Oh, <laughs> And Malik Zaire ranked 189. That's absurd. That's absurd. He should have been higher than that. Mike Williams from Clemson, 201. Wow. Was number 201. That class was absolutely insanely loaded. But through it all, back to the original, Mitch Trubisky was ranked number 219 in that class. Hmm. Through it all, back to the original question, uh, Vita VA was in that class. Uh, The original question was about Jalen Smith and Keon Keeley. Uh, Jalen Smith, to me, was a top five player. Keon Keeley is a top five player. Here's how I would combine it. I think if we're going to talk positional value, it's Keon Keeley because defensive end is more valuable than linebacker. Sure. If we're going to talk who is the that's the most explo- more explosive athlete, it's Jalen Smith. And it's, I mean, Jalen Smith's one of the most explosive athletes I've ever seen. Jalen wasn't necessarily a great high school football player to the level his athleticism would show because he played like running back and just how they used him. They didn't like Keon to me was a a, a far more disruptive player as a junior than Jalen Smith was as a junior. Uh, I think Keon Keeley is is pro- in the last decade. Honestly, Jalen Smith is the only prospect that's in the same category as Keon Keeley. I mean that that's it. I mean that's how good Keon Keeley is. That we're having a conversation about whether or not a legitimate conversation about whether or not he was or wasn't a better prospect coming out. I Keon Keeley to me is a better prospect than Manti was coming out, and Manti was a star. Yeah, uh, you know Keon is in that conversation. I mean he is that good of a player. And and he's a program changer, and that's why Notre Dame needs him, and they need to hold on to him. We believe they are. I'm not worried about that. I'm just saying that we're still July, and there's going to be a lot of, you know, for the next, what, six months, five months, six months, or five months, actually. There's going to be a lot of sweating about that. But, yes, he is he is, um, he is, is a guy that is absolutely in that category, Ryan, for me, of legitimate top five, you know, potential top five i mean keon's the kind of guy you know that 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 fits that category of like there's some guys ryan that you and i rank really high Jaden osbury's mm-hmm. one that we're my evaluation is 100 percent on college player sure if i were to put you know nfl projection onto it which i think we should never do in rankings i just don't like that it's, it's for college football we're ranking them for college football we'll do the nfl draft rankings when they're done with their college football careers sure but I can understand a guy like Jaden Osbury because I don't project him as like an, a future top 15 NFL draft pick because it's just, you know, it's a different game. Yes. But Keon Keeley's one of those few guys that I look at and I say he he projects as an elite player on all of those. He's an elite high school player that projects to be an elite college player that projects to be an elite NFL player. 
That's how I, not, that's how I see it. You're not wrong. I mean, if you told me four years from now, Keon Keely was Chase Young or Miles Garrett or one of those dudes, I'd be like, okay. I'd yeah. I mean, he's six, six, yeah. he's already two forty. He's got long arms. He's explosive. Like what's keeping him back from being that guy. Right. right. I mean, it's, it's just all about development at this point. So I don't disagree with that conversation at all. I think that Keon Keely has everything you look for, not only right. in a, potential high impact player on college level, but I mean, why can't he be the next great defensive ends coming right. out of the NFL draft? Like there's no reason right. he can't be. And he's not a one trick pony either. He's not a kid that's just going to be a great pass rusher the next level. I mean, like all kids who are just juniors in high school, there's aspects of his game that have to improve technically, but Keon's a physical kid that I think also projects to be a very good run defender. You know who mm-hmm. he is? He's key. He's to me, this is going to sound nuts, but he's okay. Jadavian Clowney with a motor. It's fair. Sorry. Like Jadavian was thicker, but like, yeah. you know, potential when, when Jadavian Clowney once wanted to be, he could dominate He's... every phase of the game, run, pass, all of it, right? That's what makes Chase Young special. It's not that he's just a great pass rusher. Chase Young could dominate every facet of the game when he wants to, right? Sure. Not every guy is that way. And Keon, to me, can be that kind of guy. Keon has a chance to be the kind of guy. Yes, he's a pass rusher and he's going to have a lot of sacks and all that, but he has a chance to be that kind of guy that can d- dominate every phase of the game. And there just aren't a lot of guys that can do that. Some guys can dominate one and they're good in the other. I'm talking about a guy that can dominate every phase of the game he wants to. And I'm talking about how they were in college. When Chase Young was on his game, you can't you can block him. Now he yeah. wasn't always on his game. That was the thing about Chase, is he would have games where like, is this the same dude I saw last week? You know what I mean? It didn't happen often, but he would have it. And Jadavian yeah. Clowney, you didn't know what you were getting from snap to snap, much less game to game, you know, in college. Such a frustrating uh, player, man. Yes, yes. Player. I've never, I've never had that issue with, uh, with Keon, right? Like I've had with them. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, you know, but yeah, that's how, that's kind of how I view him as a player. So it's a good question. It's a good question. MT forty one is there? Is there going to be a point in Peyton Bowen's recruitment where the staff tells Bowen that enough is enough? No, no. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. It's like the stuff I'm hearing about Keon Keeley. Somebody just sent me a, a DM that just flashed on my my screen. And hey, there's a lot of scu- look, y'all. It's July, and these are these are sites that who are literally their business model is is built around page views and mm-hmm. clicks. That's what a lot of this stuff is. And the reality is, some of these kids feed that. Keon does not feed that feed. Keon doesn't talk to the media. When was the last time you saw an interview with Keon Keeley? This is just people taking his name and somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody's baby mama has said to Keon, you know, look, I'm just telling you everything I've been told, there's nothing to worry about. That's what I've been told. Right. Okay. But y'all can react to those things. And I understand it because there's these, this report and that report and the other report. Right. But we hear this stuff all the time. Remember when Keon, when uh, uh, Peyton Bowen was going to take an official visit to Michigan in June and everybody's freaking out about that. He's going to take an official, you know, just let it play out and just don't get caught up in those rumors because if I have reason to worry, I want, promise you, I'll tell you. Y'all remember me talking about a Maureen Walker last summer, right? When I was like, look, he's saying one thing to their name, but he's doing a different thing. I don't have that same feeling about Peyton Bowen. Am I guaranteeing you today that Peyton Bowen's going to sign with their name? No, because I, 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 a lot of things can change, right? But mm-hmm. I'm just telling you from Ryan's conversation with people, from my conversation with people, I, I just feel Peyton has a hard time telling people that he knows and likes no. Right. But everything about it to me says Notre Dame is the place where he wants to be. I know his family wants him in Notre Dame, 
but he does have friends that are going to Oklahoma. And I think that's a harder thing for him is like, you know, my buddies are going there and he does like Oklahoma, but I, I do believe Notre Dame is a place he's going to be. I'm not concerned about it. I promise you, if we get legitimate intel that makes us concerned about it, we will put that on a message board and it'll matriculate to this show as well. So and you, I just that, that's I'm, that's a great point to say that you should join boards.irishbreak.com <laughs> because if there is any reason that you should be worrying right. about Peyton Bowen, you'll be the first right. to know it from us. Right. So a lot, a, it's otherwise, your, it's just a lot of this stuff is just you know to your to your point about the, even the Keon Keeley thing for a second, Brian. We've heard the Alabama Keon Keeley stuff twice already. Right. Like this isn't the first time we're hearing that smoke. Like we literally right. heard that like two months ago, whatever it was. Like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I get it. Look, hey, folks, this is big time football, right? When you want Notre Dame to recruit this way, this is what happens, right? There's going to be kids at big time schools are trying to flip. They're, they're, when, when you recruit big time guys, they are clickbait material, right? Uh, the number three player in the country is going to be clickbait material, right? So, yeah, you throw some out and then you can vaguely say something about this. And it's a situation we're monitoring. And then when he doesn't flip, you can say, well, you know, they made a run. Things have changed. When in reality, you were probably running with something that you should have been running with in the first place. You know, like I said, am I guaranteeing you that anyone in this class is going to sign with Notre Dame? No, I'm not. But I'm just telling you, we have no legitimate intel that tells us one way. And this is from all sides of this. Now, you know, maybe I look stupid in a week from now and things do change. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, based on what we are hearing, there's nothing to worry about. And I just... I'm saying it now because I don't want this to be a thing now where if we don't address it, it gets brought up in every single mailbag where, you know, what's the latest with so-and-so they're in the, they're committed in the class. They're telling the commits that they're in the class. They're publicly committed. They haven't taken official visits anywhere else. And they're saying all the right things to the coaches as well. And until that changes, you know, I, I just, I'm not going to feel the need to respond every time somebody throws a rumor out about something. And speaking of that, uh, MT41 also says, has your confidence level changed for Hannafin? It seems like things aren't trending in the right direction. This is another example that I'm talking about. I believe Ronan Hannafin is torn between Notre Dame and Clemson. That has been true for a while. But because he has a committed to Notre Dame, the, the perception is, and what's being reported, he's now trending to Clemson. When in reality, the only what's actually reported from the few times people have sent me stuff and what I know is it's not that he's trending to Clemson. It's that Clemson has narrowed the gap on Notre Dame. And I think most Clemson people that I know that from what I have been sent and who I respect have said that they still think Notre Dame leads, but then that turns into it's trending to Clemson. I don't believe that to be the case. I do think he's having a tough time deciding. I still think Notre Dame leads, but I'm not as confident in that now as I was a month ago. And we have reported that on the board, by the way. Um, But as of right now, I do believe that Notre Dame still leads, but they got to close, right? And that's the key. They got to close on him, just like Jaden Osbury, just like Jeremiah Love. They got to close. But that situation's different because he's uncommitted. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little different than some of the other ones. I agree. All right. Uh, Ryan, I'll ask you this. Blaine Tiller asks, other than Stucky, which first-year position coach has wowed you the most on recruiting? Yeah, let's not uh, let's not quite go there yet on Stucky. He's got to close out on Ronan Hannafin first. Sure. Uh, once he does that, then I'll say I'm wowed by him because he basically got two kids that he already had a relationship with before which is good it's important mm-hmm. but let me see him close on on ronan hannafin and then i'm like yep dude is legit dude is legit now what's your answer other than coach stuckey what first year position coach has wowed you the most on recruiting it would probably be coach washington al washington new defensive line coach i think he's 
only continue to stockpile the 2023 class, obviously with Bubakar Triori and Devin Houston, who because Brennan Vernon and Keon Killer were already committed when he first got the job. And then he had the first two commitments in the 2024 class, obviously with Brandon Davis Swain and Owen Wafel. So that would probably be my answer, Brian. I'll say this though, kind of to throw in another name. Dylan McCullough would be a close one for me if he's able to land Jeremiah Love and also get Jaden uh, mm-hmm. um, Lamar, excuse me, since if you had a one-two punch of Jeremiah Love and Jaden Lamar, I think that that's kind of like an underratedly good job by Dylan McCullough if he's able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would I would put them there. And then, of course, Harry Heastan's putting together a heck of a group as well. Uh, but, I mean, they're all doing a good job. Jared Parker's in a unique situation because he there wasn't room for him to make a 2023 impact, but he's got a – a kid in 2024 uh who's a, he also he also still end. had to smooth everything out with with uh true. flanagan as well you know so it's a good it's point a, i think he's done a good job as well i would say so yeah. I, I think i would have liked to have seen coach washington close on jason moore i you know sure. i, I kind of ding that a little bit because i felt like you had the lead and then lost him uh and, and so that's a that's a little bit of a blow but he's off to a great start in 23 and 24 he's got to hold on to the guys in 24 you know, that's going to be a big part because, you know, the two of the two of the four kids committed were already in the class. Uh, but, you know, he's doing a good job. They're all doing a good job. They just got to close. I, I like your point, though, about Dylan McCullough, because not only is it Lamar in love, but he also got Jabron Payne. And that's looking like a really good pickup now with all the all the injuries. Notre Dame has had a running back this offseason. So he'd be another one. Ryan, I, I think that's a good point. If he gets if he gets Jeremiah Love. Yeah, you, you've got to throw him into that conversation. Agree. I'll ask you this one, Ryan, and I know you don't have an answer, but try it best oh, you no. can. From Notre Dame 2164, why does Brennan Vernon keep dropping in the rankings? Look, I, I think we went from Brennan Vernon being slightly high on what was the one that ranked him as a five star to begin Rivals. Player, well, they Ryan, didn't have him as they didn't have him as a they didn't have him as a five star. Uh he was number seven player in the country. Rivals. Gotcha. They yeah. didn't have so, like that, yeah, but but he was a five star composite early on because of that. Right, but no right. one actually ranked him as a five-star. Right, right. So he was ranked a little too high. That kind of made the composite go a little higher. And now we've gone full opposite direction here, and now he is criminally underrated. Mm-hmm. Brendan Vernon, for me, has always been a top 100 player. Like 75, like if we can talk 75, 100, wherever. You know, like I think that he's a really, really good football player. And I think he has top 50 upside. Like I really do. I think that he is a extremely gifted football player. What's hurting him the most, I think, is the fact that he's not one of those camp guys, right? Like, he's not going to go to this event and that event and this other event. And I think his game's a little underappreciated, to be honest, because he kind of has that lunch pail feel to him, physical grinder. So I think when you kind of couple all those things together, that's why the fall has happened mostly. I think there's a couple things. Not, to your point about the, the game, I think part of that's on his high school coaches. They did not use him well. They use him as a gap spa- a gap eater and not as a guy to attack with. I think that they, they didn't use him properly. Not only is he not a camp guy, he doesn't do interviews. He has zero social media presence. There's nothing in it for them to have him ranked where he is ranked. Yeah. And I think part of it is I think there's just some bad evaluations. He's got a weird athletic – like he's got a weird gait. Uh, this is something that I thought people – why it took some too long to come around to Michael Floyd because if you all remember – it wasn't until Michael Floyd dominated that the the Army All-American Bowl, including against Patrick Peterson, who at the time was known as Patrick Johnson, it wasn't until then, and he just ended Bubakar Sissoko's career at an all at an all-star game. 
that people finally started putting Michael Floyd up to a five-star, which is where I thought he should have been. And part of it is because he had a weird gait. He had just that weird running style where it just kind of had that long galloping kind of thing. You didn't realize how athletic he was. And I think that kind of held him down a little bit. And, you know, I, I think the fact he picked Notre Dame hurt him because I, I think there's this, well, if, you know, from Ohio, if he's that great of a player, shouldn't he go to Ohio State? I think there's a lot of factors in it, but I, I think Ryan hit on a couple legitimate ones. He doesn't go to camps and he's not a guy that had great production last year because of the way he was used by his high school team. So I, I can understand him dropping in the rankings a little bit, but the manner in which he's dropped, like, you know, maybe you drop him from 60 to 110, mm-hmm. but to drop him into the 200s and then out of the top 250 altogether, to me, it's just, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And I'm very curious. Like, and then I'm like, oh, he's going to take, he's going to, but I don't think he cares from everything I know about Brandon. I just don't think he cares about stuff like that. He's going to go out there. He wants to win. He wants to, you know, produce and he wants to get to Notre Dame and do the same thing. In Notre Dame. I don't think he cares what those people think, which is why he's just so unengaged in that process. I mean, you know, so it's partly on him, but I commend him for it because good on you for not giving a crap what recruiting rankings think. Because it doesn't matter. It it matters what Al Washington and Al Golden and Marcus Freeman think about you as a player, not what Brian Driscoll or Ryan Roberts or anybody that works for those other outlets think about them. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, here, here's a good one from John Leahy, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian and Ryan, is there a greater risk of misevaluating when taking commits before their junior season or missing out on a late bloomer? Yes. John, this is a good question. I actually had, um, so if you're on the message board, I put out just kind of like recruiting talk this morning just to kind of get the conversation going. And someone asked a similar question to this, Brian. They they talked about, you know, what's kind of too early to have a kid as a take because kids are getting offered now. I mean, we just had Jaden Greathouse on and he was offered, you know, scholarships when he was a freshman in high school. And we've talked a lot about some recruits that are getting offered when they're in seventh, eighth grade at this point. So it's, it's kind of a much different world. I do think that there's some misevaluation at times because it's hard to predict how much a player is going to grow and develop physically, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think that that can lead to some misevaluation, but I I think there's also, that's why you have to project as much as possible because then there is, I think there is a threat where you get to a certain point and you are going to miss out on a late bloomer and you're going to kind of not be able to project. I think that's why it's important. Like we've had a couple of kids commit to Notre Dame. It's like, there are six, four kids. I'm thinking about guys like Joe Odding and Owen Wafels, even shorter, like six, two and a half, six, three, but both their parents and both their fathers are like six, 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 seven. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, could they have another growth spurt left? It's very possible. So John, it's a fascinating conversation because I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer here. I just think it's very dependent on one by one situation. Like there's some kids that are done developing at an earlier age. There's some that are late bloomers. That's what makes mm-hmm. the recruiting side very tough and very difficult to kind of predict. I think a part of it is you have to be careful how you evaluate a guy because the mistake I think people make Ryan is when they take that young guy, that's like so much bigger and stronger and, you know, and you like, you know, this guy, you know, this guy's kind of tapped out. Like 
that's different than taking like a Keon Keeley before his junior year. Because with Keon, it was the opposite. He's this long string bingy kind of guy that you have a lot of talent with who then become – he was the late bloomers from relative to when he committed. When Keon committed to Dame, no one had him in the top 100, which we thought was kind of nuts at the time. Uh, but like the thing for me, Ryan, is you remember when Texas started this under Mac Brown. Texas started this whole taking kids early thing. The problem was they were taking guys that were advanced and they were physically advanced and all that, and then they weren't developing. They weren't panning out. They And so then Texas – ended up having high classes, but they weren't great because they weren't, they didn't get a whole lot better. I think the thing that like Ryan pointed out, Notre Dame taking guys early, they're taking some of those guys that are down the road, like developmental guys, as well as some of the guys that are just already kind of like Bubakar trailer is highly ranked, but he's raw, you know, yeah. Brendan Vernon's kind of raw. Uh, Keon still has a lot of, you know, lot. He's still kind of raw. Uh, Peyton Bowen. I mean, we've talked about him. He's a guy that another guy that like technically is really raw. There's a lot of room for growth. I think that's the thing that I like, Ryan, is they, they're not taking a lot of like, wow, that's a grown man like that. Well, you know, they're not taking a lot of that. Uh, and I think that's when you got to get worried. But but I think more so to the 2024 class. Yeah, I think there is some concern when you're taking guys that are sophomores. You haven't seen them play their junior years. You have to be very careful. But I think the thing that Notre Dame has done a good job of so far is they are taking guys with the ceilings, not so much the, the guys like Texas was taking guys with super high floors and not with the guys with high ceilings. And I think that's what hurt them. And then they were filling up so early that they didn't have room. Notre Dame's not quite doing that. They're filling up before their senior years, but even then they're not going to be completely full. There'll still be room for a kid here or there. I also think too, the difference now, Ryan, is uh, with the advent of seven on seven, you're not seeing as many late bloomers now because guys are playing so skill players at, you know, right. linemen, it's still, still true, but yep. from a skill player standpoint, you're just not, you're not because these kids are so much further along than they used to be because they play so much more football. I sure. think that kind of fits into it a little bit as well. Very good question. Very good That's question. Very Got a couple of super chats down here. Let's get to Ryan from TJ Fallon. Uh, thank you for that TJ. Very, very much. I hear Notre Dame needs a quarterback. Yeah, they do. Well, I'm 27, 5'11", and can throw a beer can in the trash can from the couch. Brian, can you put in a good word for me? Sure. I'll uh, I'll get on that right now, TJ. Uh, you got it. I appreciate the super chat. And, yes, Notre Dame does still need a quarterback. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, that um, uh, probably not going to get a phone call from the Dame coaches, TJ. I'm just going to be honest with you. So, sorry. Sorry about maybe, that. Hate to... Maybe you can grab a beer with me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No question. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, Ian Johnson's trying to get on my good side because he was pass off uh, some of our message board information in another chat the other day. Is if Brian Driscoll were a high? Thank you for the super chat, Ian. If Brian Driscoll were a high school prospect transitioning from quarterback to his natural position of receiver, I'm offended by that comment. I was a quarterback. I don't care what you say in college. Who's your comp and why is it DK Metcalf? I had absolutely nothing in common with DK Metcalf. Nothing. Uh, absolutely nothing. I have no comps. So which, um, which I'm undersized a, slot receiver are we going to? I mean, you want to call me Hunter Renfro or something, I guess. I don't know. I, 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 um, I ran a four, five, nine, maybe Cole know. Beasley. I don't know. Uh, he's, he's more, he's more quick and shifty than that. Um, yeah. Yep. yep. Um, I'm a little taller than that. Isn't he like five, nine or five, ten? how tall is Cole Beasley? I think he's like five, ten. Sounds yeah, about right. A little bit taller than that. So, but no, I had, he was also like a string bean man. He's like 170 yeah. something wet. Yep. Yeah, I was like I was like a buck eighty five uh <laughs> when I got done with college. I my 
my senior year, I balked up to like 195 because I had a really bad offensive line. So I was like, let me put some weight on. So I really bought and I was back to 185, 180 by the time camp was over with. Maybe you're Danny you know. Amendola then. Maybe yeah. Danny, Danny yeah. Amendola. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Back to real life. Alan Watson. Hey, Ryan and Bryant. How did so many people miss on Joe Burrow? I, I didn't cover Joe Burrow's recruiting. I know he was a, I mean, he was considered like a three star by most people, right? And it was like ranked, I think, 288th overall on the okay. 247 composite. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, Brian, because you obviously you co- you covered it, and at least you saw it. He's a kid that isn't incredibly gifted. Like his arm is solid; it's not a great mm-hmm. arm, though. He's a good athlete, not exceptional athlete. So I feel like he probably fell through the cracks a little bit, or at least from a recruiting perspective, because he isn't just the most physically gifted. Where Joe Burrow excels is the mental side, the accuracy right. side of everything. Right. I also think we have to understand guys, guys develop different. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, he still signed with Ohio state. Right. And, and, and got beat out by Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins was a pretty good player. Uh, meant like, if Dwayne Haskins, I'll say this, if Dwayne Haskins had Joe Burrow's mind, he would have been, you know, again, obviously he's passed away, but in college, if he had Joe Burrow's work ethic and mind, he would have been, I mean, even, even better, but he was a really good college quarterback in one year. I think there's a reason. I mean, Urban Meyer, who's a pretty good coach, picked Dwayne Haskins because Joe Burrow wasn't the guy that he was in 2019. Go look at Joe Burrow's first year as a starter at LSU when he was a senior. He passed for under 3,000 yards, like was it like 17 touchdowns or something like that, it was, Ryan? It was like 16 to 5. Right. I mean, or guys yeah. just developed differently. And then the light went on a little bit for Joe. And now he's, you know, an outstanding quarterback and and has continued to, to, from what I understand, Ryan, he's been pretty darn good in the NFL uh, when he's been able to stay healthy. So mm-hmm. guys just develop differently. Not, not like you said, how did every team in college football, except Wyoming miss on Josh Allen? Cause Josh Allen as a senior in high school. Isn't Josh, Josh Allen, Allen now. now. <laughs> yeah. If you go right. look at his numbers in, in, in Wyoming, they weren't that good. Right? He just was a late bloomer. And that, that happens sometimes, you know, it, it just, it's part of the deal. Here's here's one, Ryan. We, you and I were talking about this off air. Uh, did we talk about this at the beginning of the show? But we are not Marshall, says Brian and Ryan. We talk about missed opportunities. That was what we we're talking about in the show on Saturday. Did Justice Haynes have zero interest in Notre Dame? He's a private school kid uh, who is an excellent student. Um, I, I think this is a little bit before you kind of started jumping on board. There was a lot of no, talk I, I, early I, no, about I had, that. I had a, I had some good conversations okay. with his coach. Remember when so, I first started? Okay. So. Yeah. I never felt that the Notre Dame, like he always talked highly about Notre Dame, Justice did, but I never thought it was a legitimate interest. And I think he liked a lot of things about Notre Dame, but his dad played at Georgia and he was just, you know, going to stay in the South. I, I even didn't necessarily buy some of the Ohio State stuff. And he ended up finishing second, but I mean, as far as just picking Notre Dame or picking Ohio State, but um, I mean, I just, he, he had interest. I, Caleb Downs has a lot of interest in Notre Dame. I don't think he's going to pick Notre Dame. But just because a kid doesn't pick a school doesn't mean he doesn't have an interest. Some kids are just like, hey, I like a lot about Notre Dame, but I don't want to go to school there, right? I don't want to, you know, whatever the case may be. I also think that, to be completely honest with you, Notre Dame didn't have as much interest in him after Dylan McCullough came on board. And, you know, he's a good football player, but I, I always thought he was a little bit overrated, to be completely honest with you. When, you know, some people I think had him like in the top 50. I, I never saw that. I I, th- I think the gap between Justice Haynes and Jay Lamar is not as great as the gap between them and like Richard Young. 
It's fair. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of how I look at it. Yep. So 99 problems became one. Do you think seven on seven in camps matter more for quarterbacks, receivers, and corners? I can't see how they can matter for any other position for those three, though, maybe because you can see route running technique, et cetera. I don't have a I don't have a great opinion on this to be honest. I think I think one thing that I always like because I mean a lot of ways it becomes almost one on one situations in these in these scenarios, right? And that's kind of where I like to watch cornerbacks a lot because I think that really kind of shows when a cornerback's in a one on one situation, maybe in man coverage, and you just kind of see the athleticism, you see the hit fluidity, the ability to turn and run, like all those types of things. So I, I like to isolate those players. Ninety nine problems. So I think you can get something out of wide receiver, but I think more than anything quarterbacks can go through their progressions but you don't have a rush and it's a lot different i think for me cornerback is probably one where i say like i can get a lot out of just seeing them kind of move out there again on an island yeah i i look i think i think anytime you're gonna see a guy move around there's value to it right like as a coach i would go watch kids play basketball if it was a lineman you go watch them wrestle you watch kids at track. I mean, there's anytime you can see a kid move athletically, Ryan, there's value to that evaluation. For sure. The problem that I have is that they put too much on it. So uh, do they matter? Yeah, they matter. I think I think they matter for linebackers. I, I think sometimes seven on seven is the only time you actually get to see a linebacker open up and drop underneath the hook route because he's not doing it in high school sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it can be the only time you see a guy go out in space and cover. Like the only time I've ever seen Jalen Sneed cover is at a seven on seven coming out of high school. Like that was the biggest question mark I had. He played defensive end as a junior. I've never seen that kid run with a wheel route. Well, then you get to see him at summer camps. Like, okay, he can flip his hips really good. He can run and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think there's value in it. I think the problem that I have is it should be a, it, it's kind of like the combine in the NFL. I think the, 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 you see the teams that constantly miss Ryan and they miss because they're always looking at um, the testing and they put too much of an emphasis on it as opposed to it's just another data point to yep. evaluate a kid. If you watch film of a kid and you say that's a top 50 player mm-hmm. and he struggles during a weekend at a seven on seven and you drop him way down, that's an evaluation mistake because there's a lot to go into it. You know, like there's there's just all types of factors that can play into account. Now, if you think a guy's a borderline top 300 guy and he comes to a camp and blows you away and you jump him all the way up, that's also a mistake. Because sure. here's the biggest thing. If I have a receiver that's not real physical on film and then I see him at 707, like, this kid's just really great. It's because he knows he's not going to get hit, <laughs> right? And and there's a lot to it. Like you see DBs do things in, on 707. Like that kid can't play that way in a real game. You know, like you can't do that. It's like why it's like running. Oh, did you see that guy during one-on-ones? It's a completely different. Animal. There's not 10 other guys on both sides of the field. I see guys like they'll make a move. And I'm like, you just got killed by a middle linebacker uh, the way you ran that route. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not a win. I, and, I coached a, I coached a kid. Sorry to, to interrupt for a second. I coached it. a wide receiver when I was uh, in the high school level where in seven on seven, Brian, he would catch everything and he would make mm-hmm. people look absolutely silly in the open field. Like no one could touch him. Mm-hmm. And then when you put on the film, when you put him on the actual field, can't win through contact, not right. physical at all. No catch point ability will not block. Like it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's, it's, you see that a lot. He was made, he was made to play fly football, which is fine. It's no problem, but mm-hmm. it's it's not, it's not the same football player he is on the field with Pat. Yeah. Right. And that's a big part of it. And it's like quarterbacks. 
I mean, here's the one thing I can guarantee you every time I snap the ball in a seven-on-seven. I'm not getting sacked. I'm not getting hit in the face by Keon Keeley or Bubakar Traore or Brendan Vernon or Jason Moore or anybody else, right? And so it's like, yeah, you can see certain things, but it has to come with a grain of salt. Here's a perfect example. I talked to a couple guys that were at Elite 11, and I talked to a guy that was at the um, uh, the Future 50 thing. And what they told me, Jackson Arnold, for, and J- Jackson Arnold is one of the best quarterbacks in the country in drills. But every time they put him in 707, he struggles. Hmm. That's everything I need to know that what I see on film is correct about Jackson Arnold. Really good high school quarterback. I don't see the projection to the next level, right? And that's the thing is like seven on seven is a tool. And the biggest tool for me, if I'm if you're doing it properly, is with skill players, it's I want to see the guy move. I don't care about necessarily production or all those kind of things. I want to see him move and I want to see how he reacts. Those are the two biggest takeaways for me for skill players. For quarterbacks, I want to see timing. I want to see anticipation. And that's about as far as you can go because even then, I now want to see if you can do that timing anticipation when there's a guy trying to hit you and you have pads on. And that's it's like, you know, guys that, Ryan, you talk about this, you'll see this all the time, you know, half-speed heroes and camp heroes and stuff like that, like laying out for balls over the middle. And then, like you said, you get them in pads on and they're alligator arming everything because they don't want to get drilled. <laughs> it's a different game. Seven on seven is a different game than real tackle football. And that's why I think the, the the overemphasis on how guys do at camps, especially camps where they do nothing more than one-on-ones, mm-hmm. is just a really bad way to evaluate if that is trumping film. It should. It's just like the combine. If you see a guy that's a great football player, the combine is confirmation of that. But if you see a guy that's not good on film but great at the combine, you should not bump him up. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Trayvon Walker is a perfect example. Is Trayvon Walker a really good football player? Yeah, he is. But it's the combine that made him the number one pick, not his film, right? I would argue he's in the 20s if it's based off his film, you know, maybe 15s. That's a big jump up to number one. And this is even on a greater scale because you see guys that should be three stars that dominate at camps. And, you you know, and it's like I remember I had this argument of rivals. They Ronald Jones was a dude in high school like 40 sure. touchdowns, 2000 plus yards. He goes to some camp in St. Louis, doesn't perform well, and I'm like I'm talking to like I think it was his mom I was talking to. She's like, "Yeah, there was like 30 running backs there. He got like three reps, he dropped the ball, and they dropped him in the rankings. And then he goes out as a senior, dominates again, goes to the Under Armour All-American game, rips off like a 50-yard touchdown, and all of a sudden they're jumping him back up in the rankings again." I'm like, "He was always that guy." You yeah. dropped him because he didn't didn't do well on a, a camp that lasted a day. That's crazy. And I think that's the issue with it. But there's there's value to all those things, but it has to be viewed in the proper context. Otherwise, but in their defense, if you don't blow kids up from those events, then you lose the appeal. Uh, yeah, to have them yeah. go to it. Yep. Right. And I think that's the problem, and that's why. It's, it's a very tricky situation and why I just don't put a lot of stock on those type of things, to be completely honest with you. It's very fair. So we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. All right, last few questions as we kind of wrap this up. All right, here we go. Uh, uh, here we go. James Lawrence Zenzi says, a linebacker rotation of Bowen, Osbury, Sneed, Collie, Junior, Zinter, and Ziegler in a few years is going to be amazing yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, I almost feel like it's gonna be hard to keep a hold of all those guys, but man, that is a that is yep. a embarrassment of riches right there. Yep. 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 James Zagrebic. I hope I'm saying that right. When Marcus Freeman, these are more comments, right? Uh, but I love them. When Marcus Freeman brings home a national championship this year, how does that impact signing day for 23 and 24? Let's hope, Jordan. Let's hope yeah. we find out. That's all yeah. I have to say, sir. Well, in all seriousness, though, I think the one thing is it does, it helps you solidify potential flips, right? Sure. Like, you know, the thing that Bama and Georgia and Ohio State can sell is, hey, when Clemson, we've won a title, come here and won a championship, Notre Dame's this, that, and the other. So, yeah, if they win a championship this year, yeah, it would help solidify that. I, but I think what it does is it just means you keep doing what you're doing. I mean, let's be honest. Notre Dame right now is recruiting like a team that's already won a championship. If they actually win one, what I think it means is this becomes the norm. Because that's yeah. what we don't know yet, Ryan. Like, is this going to be the norm? Like, if Marcus Freeman goes out and coaches and he's not the coach that he is as a recruiter and his staff the same way, you know, maybe it doesn't impact him in 23, maybe not even 24. But after a couple of years, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, great recruiter. But, you know, that's not a program that's really a championship team, right? Right, right. And it hurts them. And once you go out and win, okay, that – that. I mean, what do you use against Notre Dame at that point in time? It's you cold. You use anything. No yeah, winner. Yeah. That's, that's, that's literally the only thing. Right. Oh, they have a great education, and they have a they have really good coaching staff, and they win championships. Yeah. I mean, the next right. thing is going to be just be, oh, but you're going to have to buy a jacket. South Bend's not as fun. or yeah, you have to, And then yeah. the answer to Notre Dame is always, from Notre Dame that always works is, okay, well, if you get drafted by the Packers, you're going to tell them no. You know? I mean, right. I mean, it just, yeah. Last question, Ryan. We're going to have a 2024 question, and that is going to be from Tyler Bengi. Ryan and Brian, which three to four 2024 receivers should Notre Dame target? It's a great question because me and Brian were actually talking about this last night about a few of the wide receivers that are on the board. So in a perfect world, I mean, obviously you have Cam Williams. It's already in the class. That's that's going to count one to the three to four. Mm-hmm. The most impressive that I've seen so far and – this is really saying something for me, Brian, because this board is silly, my man. Is it like it's just a crazy, crazy board of talent? I I think that we can have a good conversation between Ryan Wingo and Micah Hudson on who you prefer. As and the I best. think on yeah, yeah, as the best. Like and any given day, I feel like you could pick one or the other, right? Like Ryan Wingo is right. kind of the six-two, bigger body, physical guy, can line up inside out. Micah Hudson is that kid reminds me of like an Odell Beckham Jr. As far as like an athleticism perspective, a Garrett Wilson athleticism, like this kid is just springy, explosive, all the talent in the world. So Notre Dame, I would think would like to continue the Texas pipeline. We've talked about that a bunch, right? So I would say to adding Micah Hudson and Ryan Wingo to a Cam Williams potentially would be fantastic. And then at that point, like, pick your flavor, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's, I mean, it's embarrassing at that. You want to stick in state and take a Milan Graham, I'd be fine with it. Tysir Denmark is a really talented player. Jeremiah McClellan's a good football player. Emmett Mosley's a guy that we've talked about a ton. Like if if one of those guys ends up being the third or fourth receiver in the class, then wow, man. Like so, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's very unlikely that you get all three of those players right. to add on to a Cam Williams, but if there's some universe where Ryan Wingo and a Micah Hudson are on the same team, then I really don't care who the third or fourth. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm being honest. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some guys I like. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But and the the conversation that Ryan and I had last night was about 
you know, between Wingo and Hudson is it what well, part of it depends on what your need is. Sure. Like if you need that volume, big, you know, dominant number one guy that's going to play boundary, then you're you want Wingo. I mean, that's six two, you know, one ninety five. He's going to be two hundred five, two ten when it's all said and done. And and but if you need a guy that's like you know more of a, a fast, explosive, shifty kind of guy, well then Micah Hudson's your guy. So the answer to that is well then get both of them to go with Cam Williams. <laughs> You know, but you look at the board, Jason Robinson's a really explosive player. We've talked about Brito, Rob Richardson. We've talked about Emmett Mosley, if he's going to play uh, receiver, which I think Notre Dame is recruiting him as a receiver, can, not can, a corner. Yeah. Can I say one thing real sure. quick about Jason Robinson? Because there was a question, I forgot to highlight it, in, but someone asked if Jason Richardson, uh, Jason Robinson, excuse me, who's a USC commit for 2024, if he's a realistic option. All I'll say is he's – coming here on the 26th you would know that if you were on the board mm-hmm. and he likes Notre Dame and we'll right. see and he intends to play out the entire process so I do think Notre Dame can get into that conversation right. just to your point go ahead Brian sorry so back to the question from Tyler Binge he corrected me on the proper pronunciation of his name I appreciate that uh, we always want to get that right but the, you know there's just a lot of guys on the board and it's kind of like you got to get from like the way I look at it, Ryan, it's very rare that when you need three or four guys, you only target three or four guys. Like somebody said the other day, like, well, Notre Dame shouldn't have put all their eggs in such so few basket of receiver. I'm like, well, they didn't. There was like nine, ten guys on the board. They tried to get Cardinal Tate. They tried to get Tyler Williams. They tried to get, you know, they, they tried to get in on um, Kyler Casper. I mean, there's a lot of guys they've been in on, and now they're able to get some of these guys. And so they didn't just focus on four guys. It wasn't like they did a quarterback. And, you know, so so those guys that you mentioned, Mylon Graham's a guy that I like a lot. The kid from Fort Wayne, really explosive athlete. He's a Tysier Denmark, who I don't think he likes Notre Dame as much as Notre Dame likes him as of right now. Uh, you know, but he's a guy on your list. And and now, you know, then then there's Jeremiah McClellan, who's a good football player. Not quite on the same level as some of these other guys on the board, but a kid that you still, to me, recruit to. And so there's definitely a lot, a lot of, it's a really deep receiver class. And so to me, there's a group of about eight guys. That includes obviously you already have Cam Cam Williams, but Denmark, Mylon Graham, Micah Hudson, Emmett Mosley, Bredel Richardson, Jason Robinson, Ryan Wingo, and you could throw some other guys. I mean, if they're interested, like you know Ryan Pelham, if he's interested, you know Nicholas Marsh, if he's interested, you know Tysier Denmark. I already said, you know, of that group, you got to get like three of them, right? Those are the top level guys, and you want to get more of the guys. Uh, at the top of that group is ideally where you want to be. So um, that's – and it's a, they've got on these guys early, which is important, Yep. right? I mean, that's that's a big key is you, you got to get on these guys early if you're going to have a chance to get them. But, I mean, if I'm, if, I'm an, if I'm talking about dream class, I can't have a dream class that doesn't include Ryan Wingo and Mike Hudson. And he's already – and Notre Dame has already gotten Ryan Wingo on campus twice, right. and he may be coming back for the 26th, still waiting to get confirmation on that. But, I mean – Obviously, he has legitimate interest in Notre Dame right. if he keeps making the trip. Right, no doubt. So it's about closing time for Coach Stuckey. So we'll see if he's able to. Hopefully, he can uh, dip back into that Texas pipeline next year with Micah Hudson because he is the, the reason I always focus about him. Right, is he brings that different skill set that they just don't have a lot of right now, and that's why he's I really dynamic. like him. Man, whether you're really talking about special. as a deep threat, yak guy, winning at the catch point, like he yeah. is just an explosive athlete. Yeah, no he is. He is special, no doubt. Well, that's going to do it for today's show, Ryan, uh, as we as we get out of here. But, oh, actually, real quick, we did have a quick super chat from Matt Koyster. I've heard we're installing new turf. That process has already begun. 
they were just kind of waiting for after the concerts and graduation and all that kind of stuff to employ that. It usually takes like a couple weeks to get that done. So I believe that process has already begun. Uh, so thank you for the super chat. But but May say K Ryan takes us out of here perfectly. Join the message board, everybody, at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Hit the notification bell. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, share this podcast, leave a five, give us a like, excuse me, then subscribe to the channel, then hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Please leave us a five-star review. We appreciate it. Visit the IB store and as always go Irish. Thanks everybody for being with us today. Tons of great questions. Really appreciate y'all very much. Uh, We can always continue on the message board if you're there, so you can always follow up with things, but uh, until then six o'clock tonight, don't forget, tune in. Uh, tonight to IB Nation Sports Talk with Sean Styers. He said that the conversation tonight is going to be about Marcus Freeman's authenticity and special treat for you. He interviewed Notre Dame baseball coach Sean Stifler, and he's going to play that interview tonight. So you will get a chance to hear directly from at Irish Breakdown, uh, directly from in a one-on-one interview with Notre Dame baseball coach Sean Stifler. So that's pretty awesome. That's how we roll at Irish Breakdown. So we'll have him on the show tonight as well. So I'm very, very, very much looking forward to that. So with that being said, everybody, have yourselves a great rest of your day. Tune in tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, IB Nation Sports Talk with Sean Styers. And tomorrow, Ryan and I will be back at 1 o'clock for the next edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.